So this evening we are starting this new series on the epistle of John, the first epistle. If you notice, he has written three. We have one John, two John, and three John. And uh, since the title itself is John, you know, we would have no issues about saying that this was written by John. If you notice, he also wrote John's Gospel as well as another you know, book of Revelation. And John is writing this uh, letter. You know, it is called as a general epistle because there is no specific church to whom it is addressed to. So it's a general epistle for everybody for a particular truth that he wants to communicate. Remember, John by this time is pretty old. He is, you can say, the only surviving apostle. You know, many years have gone by since uh, uh, he first met with the Lord. People say roughly there would have been at least 60 years that have gone by. And he's pretty old. And as he is uh, carried into the church in Ephesus, uh, where Timothy was the pastor, and oftentimes, you know, he would say, hey, you are the senior guy. Why did you share a word? And his constant emphasis used to be, brethren, love one another, love one another. And that was his heart cry. And if you notice, even in this particular episode, this theme of God being light, God being love, and God being life comes across very, very clearly. John's heart cry was that people would know Jesus. And if you notice, even when he writes the Gospel of John, that is his concern, that they would know whom, uh, who Jesus is. And even when he's writing this epistle again in 1 John 5, we also read the same principle. The reason for John writing the scriptures is so that people would know who Jesus is. Now, why did he have uh, that concern? Because right then, even in that period, 60 years after Jesus' uh, you know, advent here on earth, there were people who had come up with different, different thinkings, different, different thought patterns. Individuals who said maybe that you know, Jesus did not really physically come down. He was just a spirit. And a lot of these new teachings started coming into the church and getting people confused. And as a result of the confusion, some people even left the church. And John, when he's writing this epistle, he also very clearly puts it across and says, they left because they were never really a part of us. In other words, there were people who said they were believers, but whose foundations were not clear. So, when new teachings came in, when heretical teachings came in, they just responded and went out because their uh, foundations, their genuine faith was not there. So John's heart cry as he writes this letter for you and me even today <laughs> is that our foundations, our basic foundations will be strong and clear. That we would know who Jesus is, why he has come into this world and the message that God has given to us to proclaim to people even in this generation. So if you notice this, small, uh, this evening, we are looking at the first four verses of an uh, 1 John chapter 1. And in the original Greek, this is one sentence. Can you imagine that? You know, the first four verses are one sentence. You know? It is like you know, he had so much on his heart, he wanted to put it all together 
And he just went on and on and on and put it all together. It was just one big sentence. So let me read that for you first now from the NIV. And then we will look at the study this evening. Verse 1, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Truth, so much of content in just these four verses, one big sentence. This is the heart of uh, John as a pastor, as a senior leader, as an apostle. His heart cries that people would know this one true Jesus, claimed from the very beginning of the church, and by so doing, they would have fellowship with one another, genuine fellowship, and they would also have joy. So let's split up you know, this uh, verses into step by step. Verse 1 says, that which was from the beginning. If you notice, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning. John 1.1 says, in the beginning. And 1 John 1 says, you know, that which was from the beginning. So in other words, there's a proclamation about this person called Jesus who has been from the very beginning. He was not created. He was there from the very beginning. So this person of Jesus and the message that has been entrusted to us when he came down to earth, he says, this is the message that I want to share with you. And he speaks about four things that he says he has uh, uh, proof, if you were to say, of who Jesus is. He says, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you. Look at these four words. These words actually are speaking about you know, the incarnation of Jesus, of Jesus coming to earth. He was flesh and blood. People could uh, you know, touch him so that nobody can say he was just a spirit. Nobody can say it was just a thought. Jesus never existed. No, no, Jesus existed. He's saying, look here. What I'm sharing with you is reality. What I'm sharing with you is the truth. I have seen him. I have touched him. Now, it is interesting that the word heresy means to select or to choose. To select or to choose. In uh, this early church time, there was a group called the Gnostics, who were the false teachers, who basically taught that matter is evil and only the spirit is good. So, these individuals emphasize Jesus was a spirit. He was not really a body. Okay? And that also led them into wrong teachings, which would say, since the body is evil, then the evil urges must be purged. So, cut yourself off from all desires. Live that monastic life. 
Also, on the other hand, the other extreme was if the body is does not really matter and it is the spirit that matters, do whatever you want to with your body because after all, it doesn't matter. So, what John, when he is writing this message, he is saying, hey, it matters. It matters. Your body matters because when Jesus came into this world, it was in the flesh to declare that, yes, we are body, soul, and spirit, and all three really matters to God. So, Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is not just a thought pattern that individuals have designed over the years, but Christianity is about a person. So, this is why he starts off and saying, that which was from the beginning, the person of the Lord Jesus, this is who I am declaring to you. So, first thing that he says is, that which we have heard, that which we have heard. Now, when you are speaking about this word here in this uh, in a Greek format, over here, it means not just a casual listening. It primarily means in a, uh, giving an rapt attention and also with a desire to obey. That is what hearing is all about. Remember Paul writing in Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What type of hearing? Is just a casual hearing? No, no. The word that is used here constantly for hearing God's word is not only the physical hearing with our ears, but also a desire to obey. And that is what John is saying. He says, what I heard from the lips of Jesus 60 years ago, it is still so strong in my ears. That is how close he was with hearing what Jesus said. Ask yourself, is that how you hear the word of God? When you hear it in churches, when you hear it in a study, when you open the word for yourself and read, and God speaks to you, how strong is it embedded in your heart and mind? Would you be able to remember that which you heard? Maybe, you know, last year in a message. When would we hear? When would we remember? If we have not only heard it with our physical ears, but also paid rapt attention, maybe took down notes to impress it upon our minds, and more than all that, applied it into our lives, obeyed it, then we would know, hey, I heard this message over there. This is what God spoke to me. And as a result, I responded and my life was changed. So that is the first step of hearing. Whenever we hear God's word, let it not just be a casual listening, but let it be with a desire to understand and to apply what God is speaking to us through his word. So John is saying, 60 years later, it is still ringing so clear to me. That is how God speaks. Remember, our God is a God who speaks, isn't it? And our God is not a God who is silent. Our God is a God who speaks. And if he is willing to speak, he has given us his written word. It is our responsibility to not only listen carefully, but also to apply it in our lives. So then he says, that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have seen. He could have just stopped at which we have seen. But what does he say? Which we have seen with our eyes. In other words, he is saying, this is a direct encounter, a personal experience that I had. This is a direct encounter, a personal experience that I've had. It is one thing 
to hear. It is one thing, the first level, if you were to say, of our Christian walk, when we have made that commitment. But we need to grow in that, that which we have seen with our eyes. We have to be an individuals who have personal encounters with what God speaks to us in his word. Remember, the Bible is not just a, you know, a book. The Bible is God's living word. And as he speaks to us, our eyes must be able to see who God is. That personal experience is what will take us through life. Ask yourself, every time you read God's word, does, do you have fresh encounters with God? Can you say, now I know him, I see him a little more clearly. God has taken me through this particular experience on the basis of this particular principle in God's word. As a result, now I can say, I see God more clearly. I see his glory much more clearly. I see his character much more clearly in my life. So he says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, and then he says, that which we have looked upon, that which we have looked upon. It is like a long distance and a up-close personal relationship. The long distance is the, the seeing. Okay? Yes, you have seen him. Yes, you have encountered him. But the one which he is speaking about, he says, I'm not satisfied just by the hearing. I'm not satisfied just by the seeing. I want to gaze upon his presence, that which we have beheld. The word that is used here, from here we get the English word theater. What is a theater? We sit and watch with rapt attention. We gaze on the actors to listen and to understand what is happening. And that is what John is saying over here. He says, once I have seen him, once I have had an encounter with him, I just want to sit and behold him. I want to sit in his presence and enjoy him. As the song will say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. What will happen then? Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God wants us to be involved in just sitting in his presence. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary was an individual who loved just sitting at his feet, gazing upon him. And that's what God is asking of us. Once we have had an encounter with Christ, once we have seen him, we are not satisfied. We want more. We want more. And we just want to sit and gaze in his presence. It is not a quick look. It is not a casual look. It is wanting to spend time gazing. If you notice in John and Luke chapter 7 and verse 24, Jesus speaking to the crowds concerning John the Baptist said, What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? The same word, to gaze. What were you really looking at? What were you seeking when you were looking at uh, John the Baptist? Again in John 1.14, when John says, We have seen his glory. He's saying three and a half years we spent with him. That is not sufficient. We sat, we looked, and every time we looked at him, we saw his glory. So the idea of this uh, uh, looking, beholding, is not a passing glance, but a steadfast searching gaze, which seeks to discover more of the mystery of Christ. 
Are you satisfied in your knowledge of God? Yes, you may say, so many years back, I came to know Christ. It was a fresh encounter. But how is it today? Do you long to sit and gaze, to study, to discover something new about who God is? That is what God expects of us. And that's what John was so caught up with. So even after 60 years in his old age, you know, the message still is fresh upon his heart. Then he moves on further and says, that which our hands have touched, hands have touched. Basically, it means to verify by contact. It says, check it out. That which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have gazed upon, we have checked it out. That this Jesus was an actual person who lived here on earth. This is not a myth. This is not just a spirit world. He was actually here. Okay. In other words, in our understanding, we will say we have tasted and seen that the Lord is indeed good. Remember you know, Thomas, when Jesus you know, appeared after his resurrection, he was not there. But what did he say? Unless I see, put my hands, then only I would believe. That is the handling. That is the verification. Have you verified your faith in God? It is sad to say today, a lot of people, senior people, are quitting the faith. They call it as a deconstruction of Christianity. They say, I no longer believe in Jesus. What were they believing all these years? Why did they, why do they leave the faith even now after so many years? Because they have never really verified it for themselves. If it is only an experience and the experience changes, it was a good experience earlier, but now you have some bad experiences. What happens? You say, I don't want to follow. But once you have verified the truth, that's the word for handling. Once you have verified the truth that there's no other option, there's no other person, there's no other God, but the one true God, you have verified it, then it will sort of you know, be embedded deep into your heart and mind. The question would be, if the disciples were able to handle Jesus and verify that Jesus is indeed the one whom God has sent. Jesus was the light of this world, and you and I are the light of this world even today. The world is looking for verification, not just intellectual verification. The world is looking for verification to find out if Christianity works, if Christianity is true, that Jesus whom we are speaking about is real and alive in our lives. That's what the world is looking for, verifying. If our neighbors, if our friends, if our co-workers were to handle us, verify the faith that we have, would they find it to be true? Or would it just be an external and not really true inside? So then he moves on further and says, this, once you are convinced of who Jesus is, he says, this we proclaim, this we proclaim concerning the word of life concerning the word of life proclamation speaking to others about who jesus is will come about once we have heard once we have seen once we have in a, uh, looked upon and once we have handled and tasted and verified once we have these things put together in our minds then it would be like you know 
you know, the scripture speaks about if I decided to keep quiet, I couldn't. It was like a fire burning in my bones, you know. It is so much inside of us that we cannot keep it to ourselves. So he says, this we proclaim. What is the proclamation concerning the word of life? Remember the same word that he uses in in John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. And then he moves on further and says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's saying word is primarily an expression. We use words to declare to people information. So when he's saying this is who Jesus is, then he says, now how do we proclaim this? We proclaim this through the word of life. It is interesting, the word that is used here for light is the word that is used more for God's very light. The word zoe, which speaks about abundant, absolute life. So he says, this is the eternal life that is present in God, which he is willing to give to each of us. And he says, this is the proclamation that we have. Once we know who Jesus is, okay, the incarnation of Jesus becomes the irrefutable proof that God will do anything to draw near to us. Once we understand the incarnation that he came into this world to die for us as an expression of his love for us, then we are willing to share this love with others around us as well because we believe that this indeed will give them life and life eternal. So he says the life appeared, the life appeared, or some translations will say manifested. In other words, it was just not a a dim appearance. It was not just a coming into uh, sort of so that you can see but it is more as a a clear-cut expression. Something that was hidden is now revealed. That's the word meaning for that appeared or manifested. God who is way up above, the unseen God, became now seeable to us in the person of Jesus. And that's the proclamation. The world is always asking, isn't it, where is God? How can we know him? Do we have an answer? Yes, the answer is in the person of Jesus. The unseen God made himself real, manifested himself to us. That which is hidden became clear to us. God has revealed himself so that you and I can have the assurance that we can share this message to others around us. So John, again, when he's thinking back 60 years ago, when he saw Jesus, when he saw the life that God gave to him through his life, death, and resurrection, is so convinced of this message. So when he thinks about these individuals who were heretical teachers within the church, who had left the church, he's writing to the rest of them and saying, hey guys, be careful what I'm declaring is the truth. Don't listen to these false teachers who are coming up with different wrong understandings about Jesus. Jesus was an actual person who lived in history. And this is who we are declaring. So he says, we have seen it and we testify it and we proclaim it to you. Three things again that he speaks about. We have seen it. We know this is real. Okay, And then he says, We testify about it. We bear witness to it. He says this is an eyewitness account. Or putting it even a little further, the word that is used there for witness in a a, uh, 
actually also speaks about being a martyr. In other words, martyr comes from this Greek word martus, you know, for witness. So what he's saying is, this is so sure that we are willing to give our lives for what we believe in. He says, this is reality. It is an eyewitness account. I can stand up and testify in a, in a court of law. That's what an eyewitness is, isn't it? And an eyewitness says, this is true, 100%, I saw it, and I saw this incident, and I'm willing to stand by it. And that's what John is declaring. Ask yourself, sure of the gospel message of who Jesus is, that you would be willing to bear witness, to bear witness, that you'd be willing, even maybe if called upon, to die for what you believe in. Are you faithfully discharging your duty as a faithful witness? The word gospel, if you notice, the first two letters are go, isn't it? Now, gospel has been given to us so that we can go and not stop speaking. So he says we have seen it, we bear witness to it, and we proclaim it. Okay. So that's the experience, you know, that's the testimony, you know, it's an eyewitness account. And then there's the announcement to people around. What is the proclamation? That this is life. You're looking for life? This is life. This is the word of life. This is who Jesus is. Jesus can give you life. So he says, we have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Every man, I believe, in this world is looking for eternal life. In his heart of hearts, man knows that there's more to life than this life here on earth. And he's looking for how to find that life. Now, he comes up with different, different philosophies just to pacify himself. But the scripture is teaching us over here that eternal life is found only in God. It's the Zoe life. It is the life of God. And the scripture is saying here that this eternal life God is willing to give to us, everyone who is searching for this life, God says, I'm going to give it to you so that you can have the quality of life here on earth, the quantity of life after you leave this earth, and the quality and the quantity together can be with you forever. This is the good news that we have. And the world is searching for this good news. You and I have this hope in us. God expects us to proclaim, to share this with people around us. He says, this eternal life was with the Father and has appeared to us. In other words, he's saying this is nothing, you know, not some uh, new guru who has come down to explain God. He says, no, this is God himself. God himself has appeared. He was with the Father from the very beginning. And if God has appeared and says, this is life, this is the way, follow in this pathway, then we don't have to walk in any other pathway. So he says, you know, this life was with the Father. He has appeared to us and we proclaim this message to you. We proclaim this message to you. So what he's saying is, he wants us to understand that this message has been preserved by the apostles for those first century 60 years. But even in those 60 years itself, there were false teachers who had come in, who were trying to divert them away. And how much more you and I need to be careful, even in today's world, 
so many years down the line when there have been so many false teachers down through the ages who are trying to you know take people away from the truth remember the word heresy is a pick and choose they are not individuals who are not talking about jesus they talk about jesus but it's another jesus not the jesus whom john is speaking about here so he says jesus has appeared to us and we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard again he's saying that same words that he uses he says what i'm speaking about guys is true in a time and time again he says this is not a philosophy this is not something that i have just cooked up this is something that i have really experienced and then the word that is used there when he says and uh, uh, the one who was with the father the one who was with the father the word that is used there in Greek is basically speaking about one who was face to face, okay? Now, one who was so closely identified, so intimately involved. That's the imagery of that word who was with the Father. So he says, you know, the very God of very God has appeared to us, has appeared to us. Remember, true Christianity is Jesus Christ revealed. True Christianity is Jesus Christ revealed. It is not a religion. It is not a philosophy. But it's the revelation of the truth of God. So he says, that which we have seen and heard, we are declaring. So he says, the purpose for me to speak about all this is so that you may have fellowship. So that you may have fellowship with us. So this is the purpose. He has given us the message about who Jesus is, the person of Jesus. He has given us the, the, the importance of sharing this reality, the truth of this message. Now, he's also giving us the reason for giving us this message. The purpose, he says, is so that you may have fellowship with us. Okay. Remember, the, we are familiar with the Greek word for fellowship, which is koinonia. It basically means to have something in common, to have communion together. But remember, this word fellowship cannot be used in a secular setup. Now, we have sports fellowships and study fellowship and all that, you know, but that is not the genuine use of the word fellowship. Fellowship with one another, which is not based on fellowship with God, is not true fellowship. So that is why he starts off saying, this is who God is. If you have that relationship with Jesus, if you know him in a personal way, that is what unites us together so that we can have fellowship one with the other. And then he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. So he implies that true fellowship with God is based on the truth that God has revealed about his son. Important thing. The first part is true fellowship is based on an individual who has a relationship with Jesus. But there also has to be commonality in our understanding. The doctrines have to be clear. You cannot just believe anything that you believe. As long as you say you're a Christian, it's okay, we can have fellowship. No, no, that's not what it means. He says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So true fellowship centers upon the teaching about who Jesus is and putting it on the right biblical 
foundation. And once we have this, the experience, the fellowship of being part of the body of believers, then he says, this fellowship will really give us joy. Verse 4 says, we write this to make our joy complete. Okay. He says, this is how we can have joy. If we were to go backwards in this section, it would be looking for joy in your life, find fellowship. How do you find fellowship? Make sure that you know God's people. Who are God's people? Those who know Jesus. Who is Jesus? The one who was sent from God. This is trying to read it backwards. In other words, what John is writing to us here is he wants our joy to be full. We can have joy in this world. In this world of sorrow, in this world of hardships, God says joy is possible. How is that joy going to come in? When we have fellowship with one another, when like-minded people in the body of Christ who share their experiences with each other, there is joy that is built together. But this comes about not because of our experiences, but because of our experiences that we have with God himself. 